Hey everybody, Pastor Chris here. Thanks for listening to our Market Street Podcast. Wherever you're joining us from, we hope today's message helps you in your walk with Jesus. For more ways to connect, visit us at marketstreetchurch.org. We're starting a brand new series, and we're going to talk about the last few chapters in the Gospel of John. And in the Gospel of John, John is recording some words of Jesus right before he's going to be betrayed, right before he's going to be arrested, put on trial, falsely accused, and then executed. And then Easter Sunday, we'll get to the end of this, actually the end of the story. But we're going to look at what Jesus said and what John wrote down. And the, and the sort of the summation of that, or the one idea uh, of these of these final words that Jesus is dispensing to his disciples is found in John chapter 16. John t- chapter 16, he says, These things I have spoken to you so that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation. He said, so, but take anxiety. So this is oftentimes what happens to, to all of us, right? And so we, we see Jesus talking, and he says, in me you can have peace, but in the world you're going to have tribulations. And oftentimes our response is, you know, we take on anxiety. Or, or the way that we hear when we hear about in the world you're going to have tribulations, or in the world you're going to have troubles, or in the world you're going to have difficulties, or in the world you're going to have struggles, we hear things like take anxiety or take fear. This is oftentimes our, our, our direction that we can go in as people. We take anxiety, we take fear, or we take, I don't know, we take worry. We take worry. We, we start to worry and, and concern ourselves. Or, or we, we take anger. You know, because of in the world and the tribulations that we experience, we take anger. We get angry. We get upset. We get frustrated with the circumstances of, of, of this life. Or maybe we take failure. And so we, th- we think, oh, I can't do anything right. I can't get it right. I can't figure this out. I can't move forward. I, I feel like I'm stuck here. I, I feel like I, everything I try to do never succeeds. And so we take on and have the emotion of failure. Or maybe we take weakness. And so we just sort of decide, this is where I'm going to be. This is where I'm going to live. And I'm going to live in this state of weakness and, and struggle and agony and, and, and difficulty. This is just where I'm going to be. This is where I'm going to stay. But that's not what Jesus said. Jesus said this. He says, but take courage. But take courage. He says, in me, you can have peace. We, we, we ignored that. We, are, we ignore that. But then he says, but in this world, and, we, and then we hear, well, what's, what am I going to experience in this world? What am I? Well, you're going to experience tribulation. And I don't, I don't need to illustrate that because when you hear me say, in this world, you're going to experience difficulties and challenges and struggles, you already know, yes. Yeah, I, that's my experience too. That's what I feel too. I, I feel the challenges of this life. I, I feel the, 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 the struggles of this life. I, I feel the difficulties of this life. I, I feel the troublings of this life. And what I often take is I take worry and I take on anxiety and I take on fear and I take on weakness and I take on failure. And this is what we often take. But Jesus says, listen, don't take that. Instead, take courage. 
take courage because I have overcome the world. The reason why you should take courage is because I overcome the world. And, and it's interesting, and it, it depends on what version of the Bible you use. The, so the idea of take courage, or that word courage there, it comes from the, the root word. It's a Latin word, courage, meaning core. And, and it's where uh, we, they get the, we get the word heart from, heart from. So courage, the root root of courage is core, Corazon, which is the Spanish word for heart, it's where we get the word heart from. So in some versions of your Bible, it might say, take heart, take heart, take heart. It's, it's the idea of take courage and taking heart. It's the same idea. So in, in John 14, Jesus is just telling his disciples, hey, guys, I'm going to be betrayed. I'm going I'm to be you know, taken away from you. I'm going to be, you know, arrested, and, and I'm going to leave you for a while. And so, as, a, as you can imagine, they had a great relationship with Jesus. They spent three and a half years with Jesus at this point, and, and Jesus has made a tremendous impact on their life, and they're hearing now Jesus saying, I'm leaving you for a little while. I'm leaving you for a little while. And he's hearing them say, I'm going to be betrayed and I'm going to be arrested and I'm going to be put to death. They're hearing Jesus say this. As, a, as you can imagine, this is how they felt. And Jesus t- told them this in John 14, 1, do not let your heart be troubled. Well, why were their hearts troubled? It's because they heard Jesus talking about some things that they didn't want to hear. They heard Jesus talking about he was going to be betrayed. He was going to be arrested. He was going to be, you know, put to death. He was going to be, you know, they heard Jesus talk about these things. Now, here's the question that I have for all of us, those of you that are watching from home. Here's our question. Do we really know our hearts? Like, do we really know our hearts? Let me give you an example of that. Right before John 14, 1, when Jesus told his disciples, hey, guys, Don't let your hearts be troubled. Right before that, Jesus is having a conversation with Peter. Let me show you what the conversation looked like. In John 13, chapter before, a few verses before John 14, Simon Peter said to him, Lord, where are you going? Because remember, Jesus told him, I'm I'm leaving. I'm going to leave you for a little while. And, And Peter said, Lord, where are you going? And Jesus answered, where I go, you cannot follow me now. Not right now. Where I'm going, you can't go with me now, but you will follow later. And Peter said in verse 3, Peter said to him, Lord, why can I not follow you right now? (laughs) Like, of course, that that would be the next follow-up question. Like, you're leaving. Where are you going? I can't go with you now, but I can go with you later. Lord, why can't I go with you now? I will lay down my life for you, Peter says to Jesus. Look what Jesus says. Jesus answered, will you lay down your life for me? Really? Will you lay down your life for me? Truly, truly, I say to you, a rooster will not crow until you deny me three times. And that's exactly what happened. Say, wait a minute. Did Peter really even know his own heart? Can it be possible that there is a God in heaven that knows your heart better than you know your own heart? 
And Jesus is looking at Peter, and Peter's thinking to himself, and he probably truly believed it. He probably truly, I will lay down my life for you until that circumstance came, and he denied him just as Jesus said he would. Peter didn't even know his own heart. Do you know your own heart? You know, it's interesting about the heart, what the, what the scripture teaches about the heart. Here's, here's one of the things the scripture teaches about the heart. It can't be trusted. It can't be trusted. I say this all the time, and I'll continue to say this. In the world or in culture today, you'll hear things like, just follow your heart. Just follow your heart. Whatever your heart tells you to do, just do it. Whatever your heart says, just, just go in that direction. That's terrible advice. Because your heart can't be trusted. Here's what Jeremiah says about the heart. The heart is more deceitful than all else and is desperately sick. Who can understand it? Come on, we've lived long enough to know that we've sometimes made some emotional decisions or we've let our heart dictate some sort of choice or decision that we've made in our life and we look back at it and we go, what a regret that was. You know why that happens to us? You know why that happens to us often? It's because our hearts can't be trusted. According to Jeremiah, the heart is more deceitful. The heart is more deceitful than all and is desperately sick. Who can understand it? You, you know, sometimes you feel certain ways and you, you know, feel certain things and, and not everybody feels the same way that you feel and you're, you don't understand why nobody understands or feels the same way that you feel and they feel differently than you feel. And, and it's like, who can understand it? Even Jesus said, here's what Jesus said about the heart. Look what he says, Mark, Mark 7. From, for from within, out of the heart of men, proceed, what proceeds out of the heart of men? Evil thoughts, fornications, thefts, murders, adulteries. He's not done. Deeds of coveting and wickedness, as well as deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, and foolishness. Anybody ever experience any of those things? I know I have. Where does that come from? It comes from your heart. It comes from your heart. You know what else about the heart? Here's, the, here's another thing about your heart. It follows your treasure. It follows your treasure. In other words, Whatever it is that you lock into in your life that you find of most value, you'll eventually, your heart will catch up to that and you'll, you'll be emotional about it. And so even something that is wrong or false, it will feel right and true because your heart, all your heart does is just follow the things that you love the most. That's what your heart does. Your heart follows your truth. That's why you should never let your heart lead. You should, you should just make a, a, a discernible wisdom decision, and then you know what's going to happen? Your emotions will eventually catch up to that. Your heart will eventually catch up to that. It's, it's about doing an actionable thing, like, for example, taking courage so when you decide, I'm going to take courage, you know what's going to happen eventually? Your heart and your emotions will eventually follow that action. 
Because your heart always follows the thing that you set as priority in your life. It follows your, Jesus tells us that. Matthew 6, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Where your treasure is. So if money's your treasure, your heart will follow. If your, your job is your treasure, your, your heart will follow. If your kids are your treasure, your heart will follow. If, and, if, and if Jesus is your treasure, your heart will follow. But it has to be an actionable thing. You have to decide and you have to determine and I have to decide and I have to determine that Jesus is going to be my treasure and nothing else is going to take precedent. Nothing else is going to sit on the throne of my heart other than Jesus. And then what's going to happen is your heart is going to go, oh, cool, that's what we're following. That's your treasure. There, I'm going to be with it. I'm going to go with it. That's how it works. Now, so you can't be trusted. And the reason why I can't be trusted is because it just follows whatever your treasure is. It just goes wherever your treasure is. And, and it just goes where, where, where your treasure is. And look, the third thing about your heart, and you know this, you know this, it can be easily troubled. Come on, right? I mean, Gosh, uh, a bill in the mail, your heart's an unexpected bill in the mail, uh, your heart's troubled. Uh, A a doctor, news from a doctor that you didn't want to hear, your heart's troubled. A home repair that you weren't expecting and ready for, you know, that, that those unexpected things that pop up, those leaks in the ceilings and those, you know, those pipes that get clogged and you know the the lights that don't turn on you know what happens to us quickly our hearts get troubled I mean I can go on and on and on a relationship words some words that were said uh, a a feeling of being slighted I mean come on I don't these are just things that where our hearts can so easily be troubled and the things that I just mentioned to you, those are just things that happened to me in one week, right? Like those are just things that happened to me in, in, a, in a week, you know, and I could go on and on and on of, of how many times and how easily it is for our hearts to be troubled. And Jesus is saying, hey, I've got some reasons. I've got some reasons why you should take courage and why you shouldn't let your heart be troubled. I've got some reasons why you should make Jesus the treasure of your life and nothing else. I've got some reasons. I've got some reasons why intellectually that you should, dis- you should make a decision to follow Jesus and to make Jesus the Lord of your life because he says to you and to me, hey, instead of taking on worry, And instead of taking on anxiety, and instead of taking on fear, and instead of taking on failure, you should take courage instead. So Jesus says this. John's writing this down. Do not let your heart be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. So the question that we're going to 
hopefully answer as we begin this series this morning, why should we take courage and not let our heart be troubled? Reason number one, if you're writing this down and taking notes or taking pictures of my slides. There's a home in heaven prepared for you. Have a good day, everybody. God bless you. That's all we really need to know. There's more, but that's all we need to know. Hey, there's a home in heaven prepared for you. Look at Jesus said after he said, hey, don't let your hearts be troubled. In my Father's house are many dwelling places. In my Father's house are many dwelling places. If it were not so, I would not have told you. For I go to prepare a place for you. Now, the good news is when you make Jesus your Lord and when you make Jesus your treasure, when you put your faith and your belief in Jesus, what happens is, is that Jesus said, I'm going to go, I'm going to go and prepare a place for you. Now, just like anything in life that we prepare, right? You may prepare a meal. And if you prepare, if you're somebody that prepares a meal, what's going to happen is, is that you're going to expect the people to come and partake of your meal. Why? Because you prepared it. If you make dinner for your family, and if that preparation is done, the expectation is, is that they're going to come and they're going to receive that meal. Okay? Another example Today, I prepared a message for you with the expectation that you would be here to listen. Thank you for showing up. Because it would be so awkward if I'm standing here like this, flailing my arms about, yelling at an empty room and nobody watching online. It'd be, what's the point? The point is this. He has prepared a place for you, and the expectation is that you will go there and receive what he's prepared for you. The expectation is, hey, I prepared it, they're coming. I prepared it, they're coming. If you're wondering about heaven and is this a real place, it is a real place where there are real people there. And who, if you know somebody that has gone ahead of you, that put their faith in Jesus, you can rest assured that they are in their place that God prepared for them ahead of time. It is a certainty. It is a done deal. As certain as it is that you're in this room right now, sitting in a seat and listen to me getting all red in the face. The certainty is, is that you're going to go home one day because Jesus has prepared an amazing place for you. So take courage. Take heart in the fact that God has prepared a place for you. The, the important thing, the important thing is not what we live in but what we look for. What's more important, what's more important than what we live in, in, in other words, in our current state, in our current situation, in our current circumstance, I know you may be here going, 
I don't love this. I don't love what I'm living in. I don't love the job that I have. I don't love the, how my relationships are going around. They're just not where I want them to be, and I, I want them to be better. But here's, here's, here's what we sometimes have to We have to look for something. We have, to, we have to look for. In other words, here's what Abraham did. Look what Abraham says about Abraham in Hebrews 11. By faith, he, talking about Abraham, he lived as an alien in the land of promise, as in a foreign land dwelling in tents. So Abraham, like you get like brick and, you know, you get a nice house to live in. Like he lived in a tent, okay? He lived in a tent. With Isaac and Jacob, that can't be good. A bunch of, a couple boys, you know, they're smelly. They're, they're dirty. They, they, they don't pick up after themselves. They're all, their, their cloaks are laying around and their tunics are all over the place. For old century jokes. Fellow heirs of the same promise. Next verse. For he was looking for. So in Abraham's state of, oh, these boys are messy and dirty and smelly and, oh, this tent, oh, this leaks all the time. I've got to, you know. In a state of that, Abraham, it says that he was looking for the city which has a foundations whose architect and builder is God. And it says, verse 13, it says this, all these died in faith, all of these died, not just Abraham, but Isaac and Jacob, without receiving the promises. Now, this is interesting, that they lived in a state and they lived in a position of in a tent and, and they were given the promises of God that, that you're going to be a great nation, Abraham, you know, you're going to be a great nation and, and through your seed, all the nations of the world are going to be blessed through your seed, Abraham, and Abraham just died with a tent and a well and a couple boys. And he died and he didn't even receive all the promises that God gave to him. But having seen them and having welcomed them from a distance. In other words, his current situation was, this isn't good. I thought, God, you were going to make a nation out of me and I just have a couple boys. And I thought through my, this nation, all the worlds are going to be blessed through my nation, but I just have a couple boys, and I'm still living in a tent. But he could see in the distance. And he could look forward to a city whose architect and builder is God. And then it says that having confessed that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. In other words, he just resided to the facts that he was just an alien. He was a stranger. He was a sojourner. He was just somebody that was just going to walk through this life. And he, knowing that as he walked through this life, he was going to walk into a better life on the other side. And he saw himself in that way. And church, if you believe in Jesus, that's sometimes the way that we need to see this life. This life is troubling. This life, tribulation. But take courage because Jesus has overcome this world and he's prepared a home for you. And it says in Hebrews 16, verse 16, it says, but as it is, they desire a better country, that is, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city 
for them. Now, here's what you need to know in this, in this, tro- in this troubling life. When your heart gets troubled, he, God always fulfills his promises. Usually not immediately, but always ultimately. God always fulfills his promises. And I know, I know, you want them now. Lord, change it now. Make it better now. Do something now. And sometimes, well, usually, it's not immediately. But it's always, always, ultimately. God is good on his promise. And you know what a promise is? Hey, there's a home in heaven prepared for you. Take heart. Take courage. Don't let your heart be troubled. Even when you're living in a tent with two smelly boys, don't let your heart be troubled. There's a better place prepared for you. Another one. Why why did Jesus tell his guys, hey, guys, don't let your hearts be troubled. Don't take worry. Don't take fear. Don't take anxiety. Don't take failure. Don't take on those things. Take courage. Another reason? There's a heavenly father who is personal to you. There's a heavenly father who is personal to you. Here's what Jesus tells him in John 14, 7. If you have known me, again, this is the conversation that Jesus is having with his disciples, knowing John is going to write this down And when John writes this down, the world is going to be able to read why all of us should never let our hearts be troubled. And so John's writing this down, and here's what he remembers Jesus saying. If you have known me, you have known my Father also. From now on, you know him and have seen him. Now this, again, might be a little confusing for some of his guys. And so Philip didn't quite grasp, wait a minute, you, I've know, I know you, Jesus, but how, how does that mean that I know the Father too? Like, I, I know you, but that, how does that correlate that I know the Father as well? And from now on, I, I know our Heavenly Father. How, is that, how does that work? So Philip asked the question. Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father, and it is enough for us. <laughs> Lord, like, I see, we see you, but where's the Father? Show us the Father, and then that will be good enough. Like, as if, you know, being with Jesus for three and a half years isn't good, isn't good enough. Like, Jesus could have been offended. If it was me, I would have been offended. Like, you just spent time with me for three and a half years. Like, you're not, you're, there's only like 12 of you that got, the, got that opportunity in all of humanity. And you're now telling me this is not enough? And look at Jesus' responses. Jesus said to him, have I been so long with you? Like three and a half years, man. And yet you have not come to know me, Philip? Now Philip's going, well, yeah, I know you, but what about the Father? He who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Hey, Do you want to know what the heart of the Father is? 
You see it in Jesus. You want to know what the heart of the Father is? Read the Gospels. Matthew wrote about the heart of the Father through the, through the actions of Jesus. Mark wrote about the heart of the Father through the works of Jesus. Luke wrote about the heart of the Father through the, through the, you know, the, the, the sacrifices and the, and the love that is demonstrated through Jesus. John, I mean, come on. You want to know the heart of the Father? You see Jesus. And that's the heart of a Father in heaven who loves you unconditionally. Unconditionally. So the question that we need to ask ourselves is, not is there a God, Ah, that, that question is way outdated. But what is God like? What is God like? Well, if you know Jesus, you know God. If you know Jesus, you know the heart of the Father. Because Jesus is the incarnation of God. And the heart of God was, I'm leaving heaven and I'm coming to the earth and I'm going to put on flesh and blood just like them. And I'm going to show how much God loves you. I'm going to show mercy. And I'm going to show compassion. And I'm going to show kindness. And I'm going to show grace. I'm going to demonstrate it all. And the ultimate demonstration of that love is found on the cross of Jesus. If you're ever wondering if God loves you, look to the cross. Because it is exhibited in full display of God so loved the world that he gave his son so that you and I can be forgiven, so that you and I can be set free, so that you and I can know what it means to have eternal life. The best story, and you know the story, especially if you're watching from home, you know the story. The best story that Jesus de demonstrated or exhibited or told was the story, you know it, of the prodigal son. You know the story. The story of a son who, who you know, his father's still alive, but he wanted his, his inheritance that only was given if the father died. And so, in other words, the son told his father, I just wish you were dead already. And, and just, so just give me what I owe, what I owe. Give, give me what I deserve. And the father gives the son and the son takes his inheritance and he goes off into, the scripture tells us, a distant country. And, and, he, and he just wastes all of his inheritance away on, on partying and living selfishly, living for himself. He wasted it all. And it got so bad for this kid after he wasted all of his money and had to pay all of his debt off that he had to find a job. And the only job he could find was to feeding pigs. And Jesus is telling this, I don't know, true story, maybe, made-up story, probably. Jesus is telling this, the story of how the son was so hungry, he lost everything because he wanted to live for himself. He wanted to do his own thing. He, he was going to go and do you know, what, what, what he thought was best for him, and, and he lost it all. And he says that he was so hungry that he just was willing to eat the food that he was giving to the pigs. And he came to a realization 
Jesus is telling the story. It came to the realization that, wait a minute, servants are treated better in my father's household. Servants are treated better in my father's household than where I'm at right now. He says, I need to go, and I need to go home, and I need to plead with my father that he receive me back into his home, not as a son, but as a servant. So he gets his speech together, and Jesus is telling the story. And the speech was, I have sinned against you, Father. When I see my Father, I'm going to say, I have sinned against you, Father. I have sinned against God, and I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But would you allow me to be a servant in your home? And this Jesus' story tells us that the son was making his way, and it says that from a distance the father was looking, and he saw his son. And Jesus says from there, the father ran to him. And the listener's probably going, oh, this boy is going to get a beating of his life. How dare that boy come back to my city where he embarrassed me. I am ashamed of him. He's no longer welcome into my household. So Jesus is telling the story. And they hear Jesus tell about how the father starts running to the son. And they're thinking to themselves, this kid is going to get a beating of his life. And as Jesus is telling the story, he says, and the father caught up to the son. And it says that he embraced him. And he kissed him. And he put his robe on him. And he put his ring on his finger. And he told one of his servants, hey, let's go get the best steak and put it on the dinner plate. For my son was lost, but now he's found. My son was dead, but now he's alive. And the listeners at that time are going, wait a minute. You're telling me this is the heart of the Father? And Jesus would say, absolutely, this is the heart of the Father. No matter how far we walk away, no matter how selfish we get, there's a heavenly father who is personal to you who will always welcome you home. He's standing with open arms saying, come on. Are you tired of taking on worry? Are you tired of taking on failure? Are you tired of taking on, you know, bitterness and anger and resentment? Come on. There's a heavenly father who says, come on home. Come on home. And he's personal. He's personal to you. He's personal to you. He loves you. You are a son or a daughter in his eyes. Think about how much, as a parent, as a parent or grandparent, think about how much you love your kids and what you're willing to do for your kids. And when your kids hurt, you hurt. And when your kids are pumped, you're pumped. You know, when, when your kids are, are struggling, you're struggling. Think about, uh, as a parent or a grandparent, what you would be willing to do for your kid and how, and Jesus taught this. He said, how much more, and you're an imperfect person. You're an imperfect person. How much more is a perfect father love you? What you're willing to do for your own kids, how much more would a perfect father want 
to do for you. You think about how much you love your kids. Try to wrap your mind around how much then God loves you. So if you've walked away, if you've drifted, if you've locked your heart onto something or someone, and that's become the treasure of your life, there's a father who is tucking in his tunic and he's running towards you. The beatdown he already took on a cross. And because of that, he's now just receiving you in. What is God like? That's a great question. He's a God of love and compassion and forgiveness. Jesus isn't done. I, I know, that's enough, right? That, shouldn't be, that should be enough for us. A, a home in heaven prepared for you? A heavenly father who is personal to you? Oh my goodness. But Jesus said, hey, you know what else I want to do for you? So that you can not let your heart be troubled. There's a helper who is peace in you. There's a helper who is peace in you. Look what Jesus tells them in John 14. But the helper, who's the helper? The Holy Spirit. But the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I said to you. So if you're wondering how Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John were able to remember all the things that Jesus taught them is because they had a helper. They had a helper called the Holy Spirit who inspired them to write down everything that Jesus said, or, or at least as much as they could. There was so much that was done by Jesus that they couldn't record it all. And so they just recorded the things that, that the Holy Spirit directed them and guided them to write down that we need to know. And that's in our scriptures. And the scriptures are, are closed to that. But other than it's all we need. It's all we need. It's all we need. If you want to know about God in the scriptures is all we need to know about God. Because these guys had helpers named the Holy Spirit to help them remember the things that Jesus said. So they wrote it down. Verse 27. He says this, peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you, not as the world gives do I give to you. Then he says it again, do not let your heart be troubled, nor let it be fearful. Why? Because I've given you a helper, and that helper is peace in you. It's the peace that I leave with you. It's the peace that I leave with you. I've done this illustration many times. Some of you probably remember it, but it's one of my favorites. And here's, here's what, how it works, okay? Here's how it works. So then we got God, okay? That's God. And Jesus said, I'm in God. So Jesus 
is in God. Jesus is God. He's in God. But Jesus would say, I'm, I'm in the Father. I'm, the Father and I are one, right? That's what, that's what Jesus would say. And, and so, and then what, what happens is, is that here's, here's you, okay? Here's you. And when you put your belief in Jesus, when you put your belief in Jesus, you're in Jesus. So Jesus is in God, God and Jesus, and then you're in Jesus. In other words, his, his work, you know, his sacrifice, his life, the, you know, the, the, Paul, the Apostle Paul wrote that my life is hidden in Christ. My life is hidden in Christ. So, so here's, here's you and here's me, and we're in Jesus. That's what we are at. And so, so then Jesus said, listen, not only are, is Jesus in God, and, and, and not only are you in, in Jesus, but I'm, I'm going to even take it a step further. I'm going to put the Holy Spirit inside of you. I'm going to put the Holy Spirit inside of you. As a matter of fact, he says, you know, it's better, it's better that I leave so that the Spirit of God, the helper can come, and the helper can come and be a help to you. He's the helper named the Holy Spirit, and he's God, and God is in you. He's in you. And it's why, listen, this is so important, this is so important. This is, this is us. This is you. Look what Jesus said. This is so important. John 14, 12. Look, look what he said. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who believes in me, the works that I do, he will do also. The works that I do, he, you can do also. Look what Jesus says. And greater works than these he will do because I go to the Father. Jesus is saying, you know, do you know how great works that I did? Do you know that you collectively can do greater works than even I did? Why does he say that? He says that because of this. Because of this. Jesus is in God, the Father. You're in Jesus. And the Spirit of God, the Helper, is in you. So when God looks at you, here's what he sees. This is what he's looking at. And he's looking at that going, with that, boy, they, will, they could do some great, great things. Because the reality is, it's not just one person named Jesus, but it's all of us that look like this. And all of us together that are in Jesus and the Holy Spirit is in you, Jesus says, truly, truly, those who believe in me, those who believe in me, those who are in me, and the helper is in you, boy, they can do some great things together, collectively. You have a helper. You have a helper at your disposal. And it is God inside of you for you to go, I, there's no reason for me to be troubled about anything. And I have every reason in the world to take courage 
because I have a helper. I have a helper. And it's the spirit of God inside of me that allows me, that enables me, that empowers me to do things that I couldn't do on my own. Take courage. Take courage. Take courage. He has overcome the world. There's a home in heaven for you. Take courage. There's a heavenly father whose arms are open and personal to you. Take courage. You have a helper. It's the Holy Spirit who gives you peace. When all the world is chaos, he gives you peace. He's a helper. He's a helper. Father, so many reasons to take courage. I just pray, God, that's what we decide. That's the action that we take. Instead of taking on failure, grief, anger, bitterness, worry, instead of taking those on, I, I, I pray that we just make a conscious decision just to take courage. Just to take courage. Because we're looking forward we're looking ahead to a place that you prepared for us that there's no more discouragement. There's no more pain. There's no more loss. There's no more grief. There's no more anxiety. There's no more worry. There's no more anger. We look forward to that place that you've prepared for us. And we have a heavenly father whose arms are wide open and welcomes us home anytime we get selfish and want to do what we think is right in our own eyes. And we have a helper. God, you give us a helper, the Spirit of God that dwells within us to give us what we need, peace mostly, in times of tribulation. We thank you for that helper. And I pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.